Hello, welcome to this podcast, which is the latest in a series from Keywords at Exeter Custom House, but also it is shared this podcast with another very exciting output from Exeter Libraries called Exeter Library in Conversation, the podcast. And that's because it's a very special one, all about a shared residency that we got together to run at both Exeter Custom House on the Quayside and at Exeter Central Library in the months of February and March 21. And the writer in question was Tolu Agbalusi, who is a poet, playwright, performer, educator and lawyer. She writes with a particular interest in underrepresented demographics, the unperformed self and women. So some of our listeners may know that Keywords is a programme that showcases literature in all its many forms as a flexible and accessible art form with something for everyone. The programme takes place at the historic Exeter Custom House on the Quayside. The programme is generously supported by Exeter Canal and Key Trust and Arts Council England. Exeter Central Library is the showcase library of Libraries Unlimited, who are in charge of and run a fantastic library service throughout Devon and Torbay. Um, they are a social enterprise. They're at the vanguard of a really fantastic, accessible new phase of library service delivery. And I'm joined by Karen Huxtable today, who will be in conversation with myself and Tolu. Tolu's debut poetry collection, Locating Strong Woman, was published by Jacaranda Books in 2020. And in um, her residency for Keywords and Libraries Unlimited, she invited members of the public in Exeter to share stories about remarkable women from the city. She's going to tell us today a bit about what she found. But first of all, Tolu's going to read from the poem that came out of her residency for us. This is a commission piece of work and it's called The Women As Usual Were the Beginners of the Disturbance. So welcome Tolu and over to you. Thank you and thank you for having me um, on, the, on the residency and for this. The poem is in several parts. One, where are the monuments? The pantheon of portraits for the women with unrelenting voices whose whispers have traveled, spreading awakening echoes to new women who take up the mantle of challenging erasure. Two, an ancient book of women's laws suggests a certain significance. We follow the invitation of titles. What is a dower? With what persons women may not marry? The baron may beat his wife. A woman is compelable to serve from the age of nine when she is dowable. When the preserve of history is the ownership of women, celebrate we must the women who rebelled. 1826. Sarah Street seizes on malicious rumors deeming her incapable of buying a business without a man. Brazenly shutting down naysayers, it's all me, she says. With the subtlety of a newspaper ad, she hires other women, transforms into Royal Clarence Hotel, blesses its success as if to say, I, woman, more than enough, even in the shadows, capable. 2021, please don't call me remarkable. I had two children who did not ask to be born. I did it for them. 
confronted the racist teacher, walked my boys into private schools. I couldn't pay up front. I gave them no choice, paid monthly, lived with strangers in my house for 15 years. Money don't grow on trees. I watched one of the boys walk across a stage. They call him and he wears doctor like it always belonged to him. I don't know how it happened. I came from peasantry, but look at what I did. 1998 to 2021. I don't know about Remarkable. You have to fix things or get out. The shops left the street and the council removed the buses in an area with poor people. I rallied till a shop came, till the buses returned. If I heard nothing good comes from those people, I went there, treated them worthy, and they behaved like they were treated. 2021, my sister, force of nature, whirlwind of energy, teaches freedom of expression through dance to people with special needs, even people in wheelchairs. My mother who came here from Germany for love suffered prejudice in Exeter. One of 10, life was far from easy and here she had to learn language, culture, everything quick. She's frail now, but resilient as ever. A drink Costa sits on her table, describes her to a fault. She believed she could, so she did. 1726. I can't prove the pact, but I'll swear. Specific intention kept Maul's coffee house in the hands of seven women for a hundred years. Delightful defiance. Give me women who know how to play the game whose actions smirk revenge, thou art the deity I adore. 1769, unwed woman buys a stone factory, adorns herself with a missus for convention's sake, ignores niggling questions about the legitimacy of unmarried business women owning without pretense, of married women, being unable to own without interference. Planning for her death, she will return to those questions with gifts bequeathed to married friends, gifts with provisos. Your husbands must have no control over these funds. Three. I imagine this excavation of history first as adventure, then as labor. There are already field hands here. Women digging through genealogies, knocking doors, and threading stories together of ordinary women on the keys whom society never saw. Women sifting through the footnotes for the untold story, rejuvenating the legends, blessing the half-truths with context. Women who have felt a prejudice they are tired of explaining in a city that should by now be home. Who feed the hungry, make them feel at home without having to give up dignity. Women who carry women on days when life is breaking. 
do you know their names? Five. Maybe Exeter is a woman too. Often at the intersection of what is hidden and what is held to the light. Your story and the story they are telling as yours. Exonians who never left reluctantly drift to the outskirts. A new citizenry gradually emerges, tells new stories, digs up histories in isolation without tracing back to the source. Here too, women are picking up tools, giving people a route back to agency, to identity. The purpose is always connection. The reward as sweet as the joys of simpler days when Saturdays in Exeter meant meeting outside of Boots at 10.30, cramming into the passport photo booth, borrowing scissors from staff who asked no questions, parading the high street. The place seems so much smaller now, but the memories stick. Thank you. Thank you, Tolu, for reading your poem. It was absolutely fascinating. So many things in that poem uh, really resonated with me, particularly the, the Saturdays in Exeter, which was something as a, as a teenager, I live in a small village and I used to travel into Exeter on the bus on a Saturday with my friends and we used to go to the, to the photo booth and to Boots. So that, was, uh, <laughs> that really resonated with me. That was actually a memory sent in by... Yeah, by someone about how they used to be there every Saturday and the people in the store always used to look at them because they'll cram into the booth and take the pictures together and go and ask for a pair of scissors so they could cut it right in the shop before they left. Um, but it just struck me about little joys and how you miss that after a while. Yeah, and I think sort of that memory sort of brought that back for me because I hadn't thought about that for for many years. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it, how, how sort of things that stay sort of at the back of your mind can come forward when you're sort of prompted to remember them um you uh you accessed um some of the collections didn't you at Exeter Library although um not ideally virtually um so I think Joe had to uh to go down to the stack and take some photos for you and send over was there anything particularly that stood out for you in the collections like you say it was a weird one because I wasn't there in person so what we had to do was um she did a walkthrough <laughs> the first time um, on Zoom. <laughs> and, and I was looking at the stuff as she was going by. And I kind of had a, a, a reference point from, and I'm going to misremember this name. I think it's Joe, was it Sharpcut? Um, somebody who had done, uh, somebody had done a, a residency at some point um, in the library, in the cage. Kim Sherwood um, had done a, a residency about uh, unlocking the cage and, and women in and behind Exeter Library. And in that, she had highlighted uh, donations that had been made to the library by women and some of the women's collections in there. So that was kind of my starting point, trying to dig through her research to see whether or not I could find um, particular names of books because what was immediately apparent even from, from uh, Joe Lawson speaking to me was that there weren't that many women's books uh, books written by women at the time 
Um, and so that even whatever it was that we were looking for, we had to, sometimes you were having to read something that was part of a different collection uh, that a man had written. So it was somewhere wedged in between. Or <laughs> you had to know specifically what you were reading, right, uh, looking for because it wasn't spelled out. Um, so that was the first thing that stood out because my understanding of why uh, both the library and uh, Libraries Unlimited and Keywords wanted to do this was about the underrepresentation and underreporting of women's stories. Um, so that even in the presentation or and the fact that you just couldn't find these books, that women were the footnotes, if it, if you if you want to say it like that, already we were getting into the, without opening anything at all, we were already getting into the point of why we were there. Now, having mentioned a few books, uh, Joe had to go digging. Uh, sometimes it took, <laughs> it took a moment. And since I wasn't there, um, I, I was looking for things like, I asked her to, for example, to read the, the opening uh, lines and the end lines of certain books. And sometimes just to, you know, open a book and see where your hand left <laughs> in the middle and read whatever is there. And I was taking notes as she, as she did that. Um, and one of the things that we found during that exercise was um, there was a, a theater text um, called The Heroine of the Cave, A Tragedy. And I thought, oh, okay, so that's one of the ones that's supposed to have been written by women. What does the first line say? And the first line says, revenge, thou art the deity I adore. <laughs> and I thought, oh, perfect. So <laughs> that makes its way somewhere into the poem. Um, and the last, the epilogue of, of that particular play is also talking about maybe sometimes you should, I, I hope sometimes you would think on women, like you remember our existence, that we contributed to things. Um, so that started to set the scene. Uh, and then at the, although the, the pandemic was on, the Women's Book of Laws was on display at the time within the library. So um, Joe took me into the library just to see it around the glass cage and just to see how delicate the book was because it's so old. And so we then, I asked her to take a picture of, of the contents page and from there um, figured out what was calling out to me and asked her to send it. And what was interesting was in looking for those things that I asked for, she then discovered that actually some of the pages are missing. Yeah. Um, which in itself was also important to me because it's kind of like how, how much, if we're using this as a metaphor for, for women and women's stories, how much of ourselves have gone under the radar because you're focusing on what every, everyone wants to see. Um, and and that, that started a kind of thinking about okay, women, but also the city itself, which then ties into some work that Jojo Spinks is doing, which I'll speak about a little bit later. But um, looking at some of those, those uh, laws and what they had to say, that kind of also started up the feeling that what, how were women considered in that society and how have women been considered since? So that whole idea of women as property or women as this thing that has to be legislated in a way that is different to how men were 
because you're somehow less. Um, so that was a good starting point in terms of, okay, so if this was the law that people were dealing with, then how did the women of the time rebel or live with this? Uh, so that when I then came to speak to Susan Newton, who is a red coat, I already had some of that basis um, of these were the laws of the time. And um, Susie has done ridiculous amounts of research about women in Exeter going way back. And I think we were on the phone for almost two hours. And I got the impression that she was still just scraping the surface <laughs> with what she was telling me. I think she's, I think she's, um, she's writing a book uh, about that. And I know for sure that she mentioned that she has a walk, um, a guided walk about women in Exeter, um, which I hope I get to do someday uh, when I visit. So those, that particular conversation where she, you know, she went back to even as far back as uh, St. Sidwella and, okay, this might be a legend, but it might also be true about her, her stepmother putting out the order for her head to be cut off and where her head fell, a well sprung <laughs> and people went there for healing. And then you have the whole, uh, Mons Coffee House, which, I mentioned in the poem about over a hundred years, women at a time when women didn't really own businesses as such, um, seven women owned it and ran it for over over a hundred years. And just that idea that I don't I don't know for certain, but I'm willing to hedge a bet <laughs> that they had packs between themselves, like you will only pass this on to a woman. So that when it finally broke down, it wasn't because it was passed on to a man. It was because the the government of the times were were tightening certain things, and their business wasn't li- um, viable anymore. But also other women who you would know, uh, Jesse Montgomery, Georgiana Buller. You know, so we went from the famous, remarkable woman, if you if you if you want to say, to to your everyday woman. Um, who is just doing things to lift their community in ways that should be remembered. I guess they were more unseen than the famous ones, although the famous ones probably weren't that seen at the time, but the, the, um, the just the normal women were definitely the ones that were hidden further, so you had to delve into them um, even more so. I'd just like to add something that we've been thinking about, Tolu, at the Custom House for Keywords, which was... Um, the building has this fabulous suite of rooms that were the residence of the Warfinger, who was the person that ran the quayside and the wharf. And we realised quite early on in this programme, um, when we were talking actually as a group of, as it happened, women who are doing the programming and another writer in residence about the fact that there will undoubtedly be a record of who the Warfingers were and the years that they ran the quayside for. But is there any record of the Warfinger's wife? And she became a bit of a, a sort of totem for that program in a way. I'm really hoping that somebody's going to write about her at some point. But so far, all we've had is um, we had a fantastic murder short story writing activity with a crime writer called Martin Waits. 
And it was a bit like a kind of writing game of Cluedo, an activity that people could do. But almost everybody chose to have the Warfinger who'd been found dead in a locked room killed by his wife. So (laughs) beginning to happen. One of the people I I spoke to, she was referred by a good number of people, was uh, Julia Neville. She is doing a research project at the moment about women in the Keys going way back into history and trying to see if they can recreate um, some of the lives of the, of the unknown women, the everyday women. We had a conversation, we had a conversation about, um, about Exeter. Uh, and one of the, the main takeaways from the conversation with her was this feeling that, it's almost like, I mean, I guess with every big city in a way, there's always a feeling of there's, there are two, there are two citizenries <laughs> of, of the locale. There are the people who, who were always there, who never left. And then there's the more affluent people or the students or, you know, the new people, the new blood who come in and then take over so that the place is then seen through the eyes only of the new blood and not of the people who were orig- originally there. And so there's this constant button of heads. And there was this idea, this questioning of, so when the new blood comes in and establishes, and when organizations, whether it's arts organizations, literary organizations, science, whatever it is, when those organizations are doing work about and around the city, are they looking just at the new stuff? Or are they going to those communities who have been neglected, those people who are saying, or who don't always have the voice to say it in a way that will be heard, that this is our city too, that this was, this, this was our city before it was your city. And so a lot of her work is about finding ways to put the power back in the people's hands, the people who don't have the money to have the voice, if that makes, if that makes sense. I mean, and, and that whole idea, it was in, in having that conversation with, with her that that line from the poem where I started to think, well, okay, maybe Exeter too is a woman because so far I had been talking, I spoke to her towards the end, quite after the, the residency had, had ended. So we spoke in the middle of April, I think. And um, that whole idea of, well, maybe Exeter is a woman who is always at the intersection of what is hidden and what is portrayed. Um, came in a way from that conversation because although we were speaking about Exeter, it felt also like many of the conversations I had had about some of this hidden women where you have your story and then there's the story. <laughs> and and where do, where do those things um, come together or not? Um, one of the stories I used during the workshops during the residency was... Uh, Isabella de Fortibus, I think. And she was rich. <laughs> you know, she owned the Isle of Wight. Uh, but at the same time, it, yes, remarkable for being one of the richest women at the time. Remarkable because she after she, uh, after she lost her husband at an early age, husband who she married quite young. Um, I, I think she was 12, if I remember correctly. Um um, so, and then she had six kids with him by the time he died in her early twenties. 
but she inherited all his wealth and then her brother wasn't married so I think she inherited his wealth too but then quite quickly because she had all that wealth people kept trying to marry her off and they kept making decisions that some royalty somewhere could marry her so she spent her whole life running from these men (laughs) who had made decisions to marry her Um, and in the end she gave off one of her young daughters who was also um not quite a teen. Uh, yeah, she was widowed at 20. She was married at 13. I think she gave her daughter in marriage, probably around the same age as she was given in marriage, to one of the men who was chasing her. Um, so in a way, you could say, yes, ruthless. But in another way, you're also... It also doesn't break down so easily <laughs> because you're thinking about, okay, this is the time they were in um no she shouldn't have done that but what would what would it take to push someone to that extent so that you can keep your freedom i mean there's so many different conversations to be had which don't break down to right and wrong <laughs> which which are more about the difficulties and the realities of of life and the and i guess you would say yes it was remarkable that she managed to stay by herself and keep her land until she was on her deathbed when the king sent some people to bamboozle her so she could sign <laughs> sign the land over to him anyway. But what does it mean to have power without a voice, I guess is the question that comes for that. And what does it mean to be powerful or remarkable in that way? Which brings me to a key question that came out from all the people I think I spoke to during the sessions, whether it was meet the writer sessions or the interviews or any of those I spoke to, this idea of being a remarkable woman was something that gave people a cause for pause. (laughs) You know, it's almost as though people didn't want, didn't see themselves as remarkable, couldn't see themselves as remarkable. But funnily enough, most of those people who couldn't would give me recommendations of others which were glowing, um, and say, no, that person has done X, Y, and Z. That is a remarkable precedent exeter that you should speak to. And it was interesting because, and, and that's where the out of sync dates um, comes from in, in, in the poem. Sometimes when I'm talking about some of these current day women who are, who are just like, well, I just did what I had to do. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you did. But <laughs> in the circumstances, lots of people would have caved. You didn't. That's a huge thing. So how do we see ourselves as women? Um, what are the things that we take for granted, which if we really looked at it, we will realize that we were in our power, however hard it was at the time. Uh, so that was one of the key things for me uh, that came out in terms of, yeah, reevaluating the way that we look at ourselves, the things that we consider to be weaknesses, um, one of the women who came on 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 the first Meet the Writer sessions was talking about the fact that she left an abusive relationship um, about six months before. Um, and she was trying to put all the pieces together. And she'd never been on Zoom. A friend suggested that she might, you know, enjoy <laughs> speaking to a strange writer, <laughs> a stranger, a stranger writer. So she booked on and she came and it was a lovely conversation. And then she spoke about her grandma and said her grandma was a gardener. And she married a widow, uh, uh, a widower who had, 
who probably had some kind of uh, mental health condition undiagnosed at the time, but he had a thing for moving every year. So she could never actually establish a garden. And until he died, out of love, she kept moving with him. But when he died, she finally moved somewhere and she had a huge, brilliant garden. And it sounds inconsequential, but it's not. <laughs> because it's about what are those things that we hold on to, the things that we do for other people, the ways that we lift other people. And how and when do we claim our time, our stories, our lives back? You sort of covered some of the things I was going to ask you about, sort of surprises that you had. Was there anything in the residency that really, really stood out for you that you didn't expect when you took it on? One thing that certainly stood out was people's willingness to give, to share information, because no one knows me from Adam. I'm not from Exeter. <laughs> Right. People being willing to recognize other people. And one of the questions that was in, in my mind, which I think was was definitely answered, was this whole thing about how are today's Exeter women carrying on the legacy of the women who were before. Um, so that when I eventually I think Julie was the one who recommended Alwyn Foggin. Um and so when I finally spoke to Owen, that whole, I mean, that was a beautiful conversation. The whole, <laughs> the whole thing about how she came into politics in the first place, the whole thing about not liking to talk just for talk's sake. If she can't make a change happen, that she doesn't need to be there anymore, which is why she finally decided to stop being a, a counsellor because there were things that were just, you know, she's been there for so long, but there were also just things that she she that are now beyond her. That idea of I'm not in politics for power. I'm there to push things, to change things for ordinary people. Thank you, Tolu. That was the most fascinating conversation and really great to hear more about what you did with the residency and how you drew those stories from people and have threaded them together into your lovely poem. Um, the poem and information about Tolu's residency um, are available on the Keywords website, which is exetercustomhouse.org.uk, and also will be on Libraries Unlimited website, libraryunlimited.org.uk. Thank you, Karen, and our partners at Libraries Unlimited. Do listen in for the next episode of our podcast. <laughs>